You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watney. That is right. Another episode of the Believe in the Islanders podcast. It's Matt Watney here to take you through what ended up being about a two-week period of New York Islanders hockey. We didn't have a show last week, so happy New Year's. Happy, you know, Merry Christmas. You know, that little week off that I figured I'd take trying to get back up here in my apartment. You know, week before was visiting family for Christmas. Got to take a look at UBS for the first time. That was pretty cool as the Islanders took down the Florida Panthers in the game. I ended up going to very grateful that they won that one because those tickets were not cheap, baby, but they were certainly worth it. A happy birthday to my mom, of course, the reason we went to the game. But before we get to the, you know, let's we got some stuff to get into here. We've got our picks from last week, which unfortunately did not go as planned. We're still positive on the season, but hit a little bit of a skid. And I really don't like the slate this week. So if there was a week that you're not going to bet my picks, I guess this would be the week to do it. But we've got a lot to get to. We've got a week at the head to look at. We've got some puck headlines to get at. We've got, you know, Atsu Ratsu to get into, the way this team has played the last several weeks. What I expect out of the, the rest of this road trip here, now taking up the Battle of Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary. But first, a little status check on the New York Islanders. 4-1 and one in their last five games. That's certainly something to be pleased about. Look, Ilya Sorokin is, is so back, man. And you expect him to be what he is right now. But that, that skid was only like five or six games. And for that to be your worst stretch and now be playing back at what you are expected to be is really great. Because he didn't go from – it wasn't it was a sharp change, right? He started out amazing. Quick nosedive right back up to where he was. He's only given up 14 goals in his last seven games played. And what was it, five of those came against the Panthers? The Kraken, four of those against the Panthers, three of them against the Rangers – Beyond that, in those seven games, he gave no goals to the Avalanche in a shootout loss. One goal to the Panthers, one to the Penguins, one to the Blue Jackets, and then two to the Canucks. A game that the Islanders played really, really well in. You see the defense coming together. They haven't given up as many high-danger chances as you expect. And that bodes extremely well for this team moving forward. It really does. Because we've seen them slip up here and there defensively. Seattle game, they just didn't show up. They had, what, 19 shots on net in that game. They are outshot by 15. But take it, getting rid of that game. And look, it's easy to say, hey, get rid of the loss. And they look really good. But in their last five games, they're out shooting teams by 20, 21, 15, and 3. And then obviously the minus 15 they were against Seattle. That is significant. Basically doubling the opposition in shots in three of those five games. There's a reason you're winning, and, and that's the reason. And it's just really exciting to watch this team play hockey again because you're finally seeing a, an interesting mix of we can outscore you somehow, inexplicably, with the talent they have. They're, they're outscoring teams, right? Five goals against the Penguins, five against the Panthers, six against Vancouver. Makes a lot of sense because they kind of stink. But we can also play the close game. They nearly beat the Avalanche with their defensive scheme, and obviously Ilya Sorokin standing on his head. Right? They beat the Blue Jackets 2-1. to one. And look, that's a team that has some offensive talent. Their biggest issue has been the goaltending. But for this team to play the way they have in the last five games, you can't complain. Now, what I can complain about is what Atsuratu's 
been doing or lack of doing because he hasn't been on the ice. The fact that he only played six minutes and 15 seconds against Vancouver was laughable. He had two minutes of ice time in that first period in which he scored a goal. And it just doesn't make sense. And look, I'm not there during practice. I'm not at the games. I'm not a beat writer. I'm not in the locker room. But I just don't understand how Lane Lambert is deploying Aturatu. It does not make sense to me. He's a 200-foot player. He plays defense well. He's a center. He's so good at the center position, apparently, that he's moving Casey Zekas to the wing so Ratu can center his own line. That's how good this kid's been defensively. And maybe you don't want to put him on wing because it's a little different. He's not used to that structure where Zekas playing in, what is it, 700 games now? 500 games? He can play anywhere up and down the line. If, if you had to, you could probably play defense. But for Ratu to be playing less than nine minutes of ice time, in four of the last five games, the only one where he played more than double-digit minutes was when, or when he played 11 minutes, 10-plus minutes, was his first game when every single player seemed to get hurt. It makes no sense to me. Because he is a talented guy. He's awesome. He's great. And is he doing anything jaw-dropping? No. But is he making mistakes? Absolutely not. And that's the most important thing. Because he's your fourth-line center with two goals and basically... 40 minutes of ice time through five games. I just don't understand how you're developing him if you're playing him less than nine minutes a night. And I guess you've got a lot of injuries, and we'll get to those in a moment. But is there any sense of playing him when you're basically rolling 11 forwards and one of them is Ross Johnson? I'd almost rather them see, see them call up any other guy in Bridgeport, right? You don't have Kiefer Bellows, but a Kiefer Bellows type who can sit there and make, you know, play 11 minutes of zero impact hockey, right? I'll go to Cat Friendly now. Who else is on the, on the roster that can be called up? There's got to be somebody that can play 12 minutes a night in Bridgeport, right? Can, can Richard Panic play for this team? I guess he's on loan, right? Otto Koivalu, can he play 12 minutes a night? Andy Andrioff, he was, he's been in the NHL. For quite some time. He's 31. Carl Bar Cole Bardrow. He's another guy that's signed. I just I don't really understand. And I, and I like watching Atu Ratu play. I think he's a good player. I think he's one better than all the players I named. But is there any point in playing him six minutes a night, eight minutes a night? I, I don't see it. Somebody needs to make sense of it to me. But at the end of the day, if that's my biggest complaint with this team through the last five games, I guess I'll take it. Because you're 4-1. You've won these games despite this situation going on. But again, I'll take it. It is frustrating, though, and I don't think it'll impact his long-term development because he's playing decent hockey in this short time. But Nino Niederreiter got the fourth-line treatment. It was miserable for him. Now, he was a scorer. He wasn't a 200-foot player, and Aturatu is that. So I think that benefits him somewhat. You can also consider him Shane Wright, right? Aturatu is a top-five projected pick going into his final year before his draft. And then COVID happened. He kind of got screwed in that sense and dropped to a second round pick. But he's got the talent, not of Shane Wright, but he had elite talent coming into his draft. And you saw Shane Wright in Seattle developed incredibly poorly in Seattle. It was so bad he was sent down to the AHL where you're not even supposed to have an AHL. It's basically a conditioning stint because he was playing no time whatsoever. But again, if this is my base complaint, so be it. The defense has gotten better. The team's playing better. 
And what might be most impressive is how they're doing it without the bodies that they don't have. Because they're without Adam Pellick, Cal Clutterbuck, Kyle Palmieri, Oliver Wallstrom, and Simon Holmstrom. Heading into this season, Cal, Kyle, and Wallstrom were all supposed to be pretty big contributors to this lineup. Those are three big-name forwards. It's not like it's, you know, Cal Clutterbuck, part of your fourth line. You like him. Wallstrom, I said, needs to put up 30-plus goals this season. Cal Palmieri was projected, was signed to be your top winger. Hasn't quite worked out. You're telling me that this team is doing it without those three, plus your best defensive defenseman, and you've floated above water. You're slightly above NHL 500 in your last 10 games without these guys. Like, that's impressive. Like, give them some credit, man. They've got major injuries. And, and yeah, no one's no one's handed out participation trophies to the rest of the team. But they're in the mix. They're in the mix. There's a chance that this team makes the playoffs this year. And this is a big part of why. Because when they get these guys back and you hope they go on a run, and they're probably going to need a 10-game point streak like the Devils have had, like Carolina's had. Washington's been on a heater. The Penguins have been on a heater. The Islanders need that heater. And maybe it comes, you know, if we want to look at the, the schedule they have coming up, we can try to pinpoint it, right? What's the benefit of a heater? It's usually at home. You're going to get some guys back. So it'll probably have to be right before, the, the right before I guess, the All-Star break, right? If you want to do it, that's kind of a road trip. But if you can go Ottawa, Detroit, Vegas, Philadelphia, kind of at the end of January into February, that can kind of be a nice mix for this team to get going. But hats off for what they've done without the big four guys in Holmstrom. And it starts with Matt Barzell with seven points in his last five games and five goals in that stretch. Anders Lee's got eight points in his last 10 games. Nelson, 10 points in his last 10 games. That, you know, give them credit. Anders Lee might be slow, but he's scoring goals. And it doesn't really matter how you get them if you're Anders Lee. It just matters that you're tallying them. And right now, he's done a good job scoring his goals. And that's important for this team because you, this team is built off of dirty goals. The ones that Hudson Fashing is somehow providing for this team, right? Anders Lee giving you 14 of those. Noah Dobson has some nice production from the back end. This team, despite their flaws, has two point per game players in Matt Barzell and Brock Nelson, and a guy that's and two guys that are 15 plus goal scorers. Anders Lee 14, Brock Nelson 15. So, I mean, I, I guess we're approaching the halfway point in the season. They're only on pace for 30 goals this year. But you're getting some depth scoring that I don't think you've had in the past. Matt Barzell on pace for almost 20, 25 goals. Pajot on pace with 20. He's got 10 already. Pa, uh, Paul Mary, or Perise, rather, with 11 goals in 39 games played. And again, you're doing all this without Oliver Wallstrom, who has 7 and 35. Could he be a guy that gives you 25 this season? That'd be nice. But I, I, I say all this, and I, and I sound so excited, and there's still an inkling of worry because of how good this conference is, how good this division is. Right? The Islanders have a plus 20 goal differential, and the teams above them are all right there. Right? The Rangers have a 19. The, 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 the Hurricanes have a 22. The Devils have a 31. I say all this, and... If the Penguins win their games in hand, the Islanders aren't in a playoff spot. And if the Sabres win their three games in hand, they're tied with the Islanders. The Sabres, man. Like, that's crazy to think the Sabres are that good at this point. It sounds like the Panthers are kind of done. They're just really struggling at this point below 500. And that's hard to do at the loser point. 
So you're really battling with the Penguins, the Capitals, the Sabres, and the Rangers for three spots. Which is why, when it comes to the deadline, you want to be a little aggressive. I don't know. It's scary, but they're playing well, and that's all you can control at this point. Before we get to the road trip coming up and our expectations for that in the week ahead moving forward, let's get to our puck headlines, and we'll start in World Junior Championship. The semifinals, not good news. We waited for what we hoped was good news to start the podcast, but Team USA eliminated in the semifinals, scored the first two of the game, and wound up giving six straight unanswered, one being an empty net goal. It's tough, man. It's certainly tough. But Canada's got a, two of the top three draft picks in this coming draft between Bedard and Fantilli. Brent Clark's a nice piece for them. You know, those three guys each had a goal and assist. And for the Islanders, or the Islanders, oof, for Team USA, it just wasn't enough. And they had the goaltending advantage. They, they certainly did. You couldn't tell me otherwise. But it just didn't work out. And the U.S. will play in the bronze medal game. What is that? In a couple days, I guess it is. I don't think it's tomorrow. But moving on to some, I guess, positive news, if you want to call it that. Uh, the NHL All-Star game will see an increase in fan input in terms of voting, reports ESPN's Emily Kaplan. Fans will end up voting in 12 players after the league selects the first eight per division. Last year, of course, the NHL fans ended up voting in four captains and then the final four. So that was eight total. So now you're getting 12 in there, which is nice because ultimately it's a, it's a fan thing. And, you know, if you have another John Scott situation, so be it. I don't foresee that happening. But if it does, then it does. I'm excited for the All-Star game. I always am because you get the, the, the fun from it. Hopefully Trevor Zegers makes it so you can actually see him do his thing instead of having him show up for the all-star shootout competition and then leave. Like I want those young guns in the all-star game. What I think would be awesome is some sort of, you know, young guns versus, you know, veterans kind of scrimmagey thing, or, you know, the rookies versus the sophomores. Like that'd be fun. That's the kind of stuff I want to see in the all-star game and the all-star competition. But it starts February 3rd through the 4th, a month away, actually, which is pretty exciting. Man, I love the All-Star game. I really do. And it'll be a 44-man competition. I've always said, not that anyone really cares, that the All-Star rosters are too small. Since they've gone to three-on-three, it ends up being like three lines of skaters, so nine skaters and two goalies. You can't give me like 12 skaters. Just give us four lines because, look, they're probably getting a little little tired when it goes back and forth on on three-on-three. But I digress. Uh, Crosstown news. The New York Rangers extended Jimmy Vc. A two-year deal at 800 k per year. I love this move for the Rangers. And I don't like giving them a whole lot of credit. But this is a very savvy move for them. Getting a guy basically at league minimum who can play up and down the lineup. When he came to the league, he was a scorer. He was a Hobie Baker winner, right? That picked, hand-picked his team. He wanted to go to the Rangers to start his career. Now, obviously, things haven't quite worked out for him as the scorer. He's still got you know almost 80 goals in... 450-plus games played for his career. This year, he's got six in 38 games and 12 points to go along with that. But the fact that you can play him on the top line, 
with Artemi Panarin or the fourth line with Sammy Blay is super impressive. Not a lot of players can do that. Now, do you want him playing with Artemi Panarin? Probably not. But could he? He's got the head for it. He's got the IQ. So that's pretty cool for the Rangers. That's a nice move. And in other news, that was really surprising. Jacob Rahner, earlier in the season, December 16th, he came back from the league's player assistant program, which is usually has to deal with either mental health or substance abuse. And since then for Detroit, he played three games on a conditioning stint in the AHL. His head coach in Detroit, Derek Lalonde, said he needs more games in the AHL. And they ended up waiving him, what was it, yesterday or two days ago, earlier this week. And no one claimed him, so he'll report to Grand Rapids, part of his second year of his three-year deal worth just over $5 million per. And this was really surprising. I, I wonder if Detroit knew he wasn't going to get claimed, whether because of the, the value of the contract or because they had some kind of handshake agreement. Because it's not even you want to take a chance on him. I don't want to speak to that one way or the other, but you don't really want to take a guy that was trying to get help and then throw him for a loop with another team claiming him, right? Uprooting his family, things like that. So hopefully in a few more games of conditioning, he can come back up. He was actually waived to make room for Robbie Fabry coming off the IR. But Verona was great last year when he came back from injury. I think it was a wrist injury. And he was must have like 20 goals or, or 20 points in like 25 games, something like that. He was really good. So for him to get waived, a bit of a surprise, but I imagine that won't last particularly long for the Detroit Red Wings. All right, let's get to the week ahead for the Islanders. Two more games on this road trip, Thursday in Edmonton, Friday in Calgary, and then Tuesday you start a little homestand against Dallas. I want to win out these next two games because, again, you know, you would take one and one. You would take a, a 500 road trip. But when you look at the, the lineup and the, the makings of this division and of this conference, sometimes 500 on the road isn't good enough. So I think you want two wins. I'd love three points. I really don't want two out of the four, but I guess you have to. But if Varlamov's healthy and it seems like he's off IR, and you get him to play a game and Sorokin to take one, you, you really kind of want to win both. And you have goaltenders that can win you both. So I'd love to see that from the Islanders. Give me two full efforts, good, strong efforts. And if you want to go inside the minutia of, of hockey itself, in this moment, I kind of like that the schedule has them taking on Calgary second because that's a physical, slower, heavier team versus Edmonton speed. And I'd much rather face Edmonton first, get the speed out of the way, have the energy. And then when you're maybe a little more weary taking on Calgary, you can kind of muck it up with them and, and play it a little slower because you still are a physical team to some extent. Now, I also would be interested to see what happens with with Atu Ratu, because if he's only playing eight minutes tonight in both those games, I don't know how you play him, because in the second game of the back-to-back act, you're probably dead. And I'd even go far as to say this, if Ratu is playing in both these games, specifically on Friday, and he doesn't see more ice time on Thursday, and the Islanders win against Edmonton, I'd probably bet against them against Calgary, because I don't know how you're not dead tired after playing a lot of minutes. And I'll pull up there the, the box score in their last game against Vancouver, just to kind of get an idea of how much time they played. But the forwards must have been playing a lot of minutes, right? Let's see. Barzell, 17. Maybe not. Barzell, 17 is the most so far. Lee, 16. Nelson, 20 minutes. Sezika, 17. 
The fact that only one forward played more than 20 minutes is very impressive to me. And Ratu played six minutes. But for that burden of, I guess, the eight-ish minutes that you lost that you usually like from Sezikis to be made up so evenly, I still think that the Islanders could lose Friday against Calgary, especially if they're playing in the back-to-back situation and get the win the first game. But I guess that kind of is what it is. And, and again, I want three out of the four points. I want the win against Dallas as well. That's a winnable game, taking on the Stars, because you're right up there with the talent that they have. They're a little more deeper than they were last year, just with Ben and Sagan playing better. But I fully expect the Islanders to to win. I mean, a nice winning streak. Would, you know, If you want to go on that run we talked about earlier, when we said, hey, you're going to want to go on a winning streak of 10 games or a 10-game point streak, how about it be this one, right? Why not? You've already got four of five in the bag. If you can go on a stretch of another three, that's eight of nine. Give us a, another one that's nine of ten because you can probably beat Minnesota next Thursday, which we'll get to a little bit next week. Why not? Right? Give me a little run even without these guys, and then you get them back, and all of a sudden you're flying. And maybe you have a 15-game point streak or 15 of 18 or 15 of 20, whatever it is. So there's a lot going on here for the Islanders that can be positives. But again, you've got to take care of business on the road. You absolutely have to. This road trip, you positioned yourself starting one and one to get points, 75% of your points. It's about executing and going on and getting it. Because you are better than Edmonton at this point. Their goaltending stinks. You are better than Calgary at this point. Their goaltending stinks. And every single night, the Islanders have the goaltending advantage in most games. In those two games, they do. Maybe not against Dallas. You can call that a push if you want. You certainly have against Minnesota. You have it against Montreal against Washington, a push against Boston, better than Buffalo. I mean, those are your next, you know, two weeks of games. And you're better, you have a better goaltender in all those games, but maybe two. So go out there and put your money where else and win those games and make a big run. All right, let's get to the bets. Last week, one and two, or two weeks ago, we were one and two. The Islanders lost to the Rangers. Carolina, I believe, lost to Pittsburgh. And then we got Seattle money line against Vancouver. So, of course, the one game we lost, one ended up being minus 118. I believe that was the case, at least. And I don't have any plus money for you this week. I just don't. There was not a lot of games there that I liked. And I could have thrown out, you know, a random game here or there that maybe would have won. But I've got to dial it back a little bit because I would love nothing more than to go 3-0 this week, have a nice 17-10 record, nice and tidy, keep that goose egg on the back end, even though there's one in front of it, you know, being 14-10. and 10. But this week, I, I really like the under in Arizona and Philly. You know, Philly, I don't love, you know, Carter Hart's been better this year than expected or than he was last year. But my, my big moment from that is Arizona doesn't have a whole lot of scoring talent. Kerry Vimelka's fine. But the big key factor here is the way John Tortorello coaches, and he loves giving up as few goals and scoring as few goals as possible. So I like that. Now, on the flip side, I love the Edmonton Islanders over. When you look at the Islanders, they score a bunch of goals. You know, six last night, a couple of nights ago, it was, you know, two is not a lot, but five, five, three, five, four, you know, three. So I think they can score some goals. I also think that Connor McDavid's just shooting for at least a goal. Drysaddle maybe can get one too, especially if Adam Pellick isn't playing in this game. So at minus 102, I like the Islanders, Oilers over six and a half. And the final game, it's horrible value. But I want to give you a third one. I like to go like a little three games on our Thursdays. Vegas minus 132 on the money line against the Penguins. It's not great value. The first one to admit it. But I like Vegas. They're a good team. Pittsburgh's also a good team. But I just 
Give me Vegas at home, winning that one. And that's the show this week. There you have it. We'll catch you guys next week with more. We'll update how the, the road trip ended. We'll have more bets. We'll have more insight on the Islanders and, and maybe a little more things of that notice. Thank you so much for joining us. If you missed, if you like what we're doing here, give me a follow at MattWilding99. Give us a follow at Believe in the in Isles on Twitter. And we'll catch you guys next week right here for the Believe in Islanders podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.